Oh, you're cracking a pop open? Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> it sounded weird. I was like, where's that coming from? Back to my grand thought. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Raiders Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. This week, it was my turn to pick a story. I picked Girl Alone by Sally Bingham. He stood up, pulling at a zipper, respectable, outraged. It's a free country, he shouted, striding off. Mrs. Edmonds was clapping. The mousewife was nearly in tears. Let me give you some of my coffee, she said, unscrewing the thermos with shaking hands. That was very bold, Mrs. Edmonds warned. She grinned at missing the coffee. You never know when they're armed. I took the red plastic cup and sipped the coffee, hot, piercingly sweet, pale with milk. Triumph in my life has been so rare, but it is still recognizable. It's got honey in it, my new friend told me. My name is Rachel Thompson. How did you have the nerve? It wasn't nerve. I didn't want to go back and spend the rest of the morning alone in my apartment. Have a cracker, Mrs. Edmonds said, extracting a flattened packet from her pocket. Those are mine, Emmy called from the sandbox. That child ought to be in school, I said. Mother doesn't believe in it before six years old, Mrs. Edmonds explained tartly. I accepted the cracker and ate it as my due. Ralph was beginning to fuss and I took him into my lap. What a beautiful boy, Rachel said. She was still trembling and close to tears. As consolation, she took her own baby out and we sat side by side with our sons on our laps. Mrs. Edmonds found a magazine, Emmy dug listlessly, and the sun at last crept onto my bench. Now tell me about yourself. Do you live in one of those big buildings, Rachel asked. Intimacy, willed and generous, began to spin between us. Do you know, she added hastily, as though to explain, I wouldn't have been able to come back here for weeks if you hadn't done that. She said it solemnly, not to have me disagree. I waited a moment, then said, we have two rooms over the drugstore. Um, I think I'll stop there, even though it feels like kind of a weird place to stop and to start. I found this story when I was looking for stories to post on our Facebook page for Pride Month, and Sally just came up as like a feminist writer. So I read this piece, and it was one of those ones where you're kind of reading it, and it feels as if it's definitely from a certain time period. I wasn't sure exactly what time period until I saw the publication date, but it feels like it's written before 1974. It was published in 1974. And it felt like a very kind of strange story at the beginning. I had no idea where it was headed. And then what ends up happening is this mother, she's a single mother, takes her son to the park and a man is there and he's masturbating on the park bench watching all these kids. And it's our main character who tells him off. And the bit that I read is like all of the other mothers just tumbling over themselves to congratulate her. They're so impressed by this very simple gesture by today's standards but then it was unthinkable that she would stand up to this man. It felt to me like just a really kind of, I feel weird calling it cute now, but it felt cute. And it felt like a really, like she says in that bit I just read, a triumphant piece for her. I don't know. Did you like it, John? Oh, yeah. This story was, how do I put this? The story was really tight. It was small. Cute is a good word for it, I think, because it was, uh, it does so much and it's really kind of short and it packs everything into it. I don't know. I really like this story and just the way it's put together. Yeah. So the background on it, Sally Bingham is, she's still around and she's still writing, but this was, I think one of her first pieces. I think some of her first stuff got published in the late sixties. And then this piece, like I said, was published in 1974 and it originally appeared in Playgirl magazine. So she has this blog post on her site that she wrote in 2018, where she's kind of reflecting on this 1974 piece and how even at the time, 
she was surprised that Playgirl chose it and they paid her like 500 bucks, which she says today would have been like $2,500. So she's getting paid for this kind of bizarre story and she's kind of blown away that as a woman, she's getting paid for it and, and all this. And it seems like it was definitely unique for its time. So it's, like we said, it's a single mother and she's definitely kind of a strong personality. She's unique. There's a scene in the story where she talks about basically begging her husband to just divorce her. She's like, you know, we don't even like each other. We could we could get divorced now or we could div- get divorced in 20 years. And this way, you don't even have to take care of the kid. And he's like, you're right. That sounds pretty good. And that's like how that ends. And then I even like the beginning how she's talking to her son and her son's responding as an infant <laughs> in these like long sentences. And he's very introspective and smart. And of course, around other strangers, the kid doesn't talk at all. So we know it's in her head. Yeah. But she seems just like a, a really quirky character, especially for her time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, quirky is a good word too. I like the way all the characters are built in this and uh, you described her character very well and her relationship with her son is so fascinating especially that like what you're talking about whether he apparently responds to her and it's left kind of unstated whether that's in her head or she's speaking for him out loud or whatever the the physical situation is but she has conversations with him to some respect and yeah they they have a really interesting relationship and like you said she tells the guy you gave me the baby and now I don't need anything else from you. you you can leave and he does and that's all she wanted she just wanted the baby I like this, the bit that I read as well, because I thought what was done well in this piece was something that we talk about in the workshop every once in a while, where there's maybe two or three or four even characters on a page at, at the same time, and you only know the one, and you've only met that main character a few paragraphs ago, maybe, you know? This is a short story, so really quickly establishing like who the main character is, and then soon after introducing this group of, of women that the main character doesn't even know. So I, I always love when stories identify those characters for you in a really easy way, so at first the one is like the mousy mother. What does she call her? Yeah, the mouse wife. I love when you get kind of a shorthand for these characters. And then later she's the friend that she gets introduced to. That, that woman is talking to her afterwards and she introduces herself as I think Rachel is what I read. And then Mrs. Edmonds, we have her name on there. I don't know. I, I love when you're able to very quickly tell characters apart that way. And when because you're able to tell them apart, they also have these unique personalities, right? She could have told this story with six mothers, but we only really needed a handful. And it did help to know and understand quickly that Mouse Wife was definitely not the one that was going to like stand up to this guy on the bench. So that the difference between the two characters is really important. Yeah, she winds up crying when the guy on the bench is there, right? Yeah, she's like in tears and she she had stood up, I think, from the bench to leave. And then the dialogue also sells her characters too because after the initial thing, Mrs. Edmonds claps, right? And he's like, you you chased him away, how great. And then uh, later on, you know, as Mrs. Edmonds is leaving, she's like, they have no business driving decent people out of the park i'd have told him so myself (laughs) (laughs) so that's the the you know that says so much about her personality like she's already rewriting the incident in her mind oh right just a good line yeah that's a really good point i also love the 
section that I read, the fact that to console this woman who they think, the main character who they assume is kind of rattled like they are, they give her coffee and crackers, (laughs) which is such um, a motherly thing. So obviously what's at play in this whole story is the comparison between men and women. And you learn really quickly that the woman, our main character doesn't care about her husband. She doesn't feel like she needs him. In fact, she feels as if he'd be in the way. So she sends him away. She's proud, but also aware of the stigma about being single at this time. So she'll share it with people, but she's smart about like when and how she shares it, which is interesting, but it doesn't change how she feels about it, right? She, she still feels very much happy with her decision to be raising the son on her own. And then I thought it was interesting too that she, she has this line where she says that they're all kind of gathered around the mothers sitting around this park. And then she says, we don't see men here often. And when one arrived with this newspaper, I felt as though our circle was complete. And so something about this whole scene, even though she doesn't feel like she needs men in her life, she feels like, oh, there, there's a guy at the park now. Everyone, like the gang's all here. And then he he ends up being <laughs> a pervert. But I thought it was also interesting when she starts talking with one of the, the wives, and I forget which one it is. She's talking about having a, a boy versus having a girl as her child. And she's saying like, maybe you'll have a second child. And she's like, oh no, like I just want a boy. I, I don't think I could handle a girl. And I thought that was so interesting given the whole context of the story. That was what I was hoping Sally would have addressed in that blog post because that was the one kind of point that stood out to me. I don't know if you noticed that or if it mattered to you. Oh yeah, I was about to comment on a line there in that section because she asks her, boy or girl, I asked, craning to see inside the stroller. Boy, she sighed. We were both certain it would be a girl. I don't think I could take a girl, I confessed. Yeah, I I feel the same way. Like there feels like there's more there. She has such a negative relationship with every man that's in this story, except the drugstore assistant who like helps her out. At the very beginning, yeah. It's such a weird scene. Yeah, but the only other male person in this is the baby. And she has a an interesting relationship with the baby, you know, the way she talks to it and the way she has a conversation with it. I feel like if I spent more time, maybe you could pull something out of that conversation as kind of an explanation. But, you know, right after that, she says, I don't think I could take a girl, I confess. She gave me a deep look. Don't say that. You never know. This is my only child, I explained, so I can afford to be prejudiced. So is this one. But you never know, she warned me again, giving rise in my mind to visions of a wicked man ravishing her with girl seed. <laughs> she has, it's like, that's the line, that's the image that comes to her mind. She she has such a negative view of men in general that it's interesting, like you said, that her, she wants the male child. Yeah, I wonder if there's, I don't know, some element of the fact that she's going to raise this kid, you know, maybe she can make him into the man she thinks he should be or all men should be. Yeah, that's good. There's another paragraph I want to read here. I feel like I should just read the whole thing at this point. (laughs) I remembered that he is usually not sex linked for me. His little member is as unnecessary as an appendix. In the hospital, they told me to put the diaper thickness in front. That's the way for little boys. But I definitely refused. Defined at the start? Question mark. Tied to that image? He is only my life and does my life have a gender? So I guess that's like what we're supposed to focus on or that's what it's setting up. I'm just dying to know what she's getting at, you know? It's right there, but it's just a strange preoccupation. That's obviously a really important moment because it's the the distinction between her male child and every other man in the story is really stark. Right. 
So it's interesting because she's she's still he's Ralphie and he's a boy, but she's still somehow preoccupied with it. Yeah. I just love how the story, though, took that twist where you think she's just a quirky mom going to the park. You have no idea where it's going, really. Even that gender question, like, didn't set up for me what was going to happen on the park bench. It felt like it came out of nowhere. And it was was like, oh, my God, this is the story. And then as quickly as that happens, she just kind of bonds really quickly with those mothers afterwards. And then they kind of head home. And the last line she's talking to Ralphie and she says something to the effect of I wonder when we're gonna see our new friends again and he was asleep so he didn't answer and the last line of the story is I know if I search my mind I can find something good about men and I was like poor Ralphie he's bearing like the whole weight of his gender and he's like six months old you know yeah (laughs) she loves him she definitely loves him but even when she's like looking at him and thinking about him she's grappling with this part of him I wonder, because uh, this is like, you know, it's a woman's space, right? In, in certain respects, it's the playground with the kids. Right. All the women get together and take their kids to the sandbox and sit and chat. And this man is intruding on them. And he, they were about to leave. He was about to win. He was about to take over their space. But she stood up and claimed it back and he left instead. So it's not really overthrowing the patriarchy or anything. It's just holding on to what's theirs. Right. Because like we kind of read afterwards these women are they admit right away that they know how serious this would have been for their routines and for their confidence and feeling of safety had he stayed there and had they left they that would have felt like his space and it would have taken them months or weeks to feel safe going back this is what what i meant when i said that this is such a tight story it's like a, 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 a small story with so much depth there's so much you can dig into in this thing i think if rob were here he'd call it meaty maybe i don't know <laughs> I also thought of Rob when we read this. I was like, I feel like Rob would have a guy masturbating on a park bench. Just briefly. (laughs) In his story. Yeah, just briefly. (laughs) Maybe. Do you have a, a takeaway for this one? I do. My takeaway is, is about the flashbacks. Okay. We, in a recent uh, workshop, had a couple people dump a ton of backstory into their pieces. And the feedback we gave was, you know, cut down the backstory. It's kind of out of place. The way in which she handles these flashbacks, the flashbacks are the hospital telling her about how to put the diaper on. Mm-hmm. The conversation with the, the baby's father where she told him, you don't have to worry about raising him. <laughs> Just leave. I'll be fine and then the um, interaction with the nurse where she just like fell in love with this nurse who was such a helpful person to her those flashbacks are short they're elicited by the current action they answer a current narrative question but they also reveal the character and set up the ending they explore theme they're so well done um these flashbacks this is what background flashbacks are for in stories is to give us the information that we need but also set things up with that information and use those little flashback scenes to kind of propel the story forward at the same time as we're looking backwards. They're just really well done. So my takeaway is just thinking about flashbacks in that way. It's just like, we, we I talked about having a light touch in a previous episode. These are such a light touch of just like dipping in really 
quickly doing 50 different things in like five lines and then getting out of it. It's really nice. Yeah. I remember when we were talking about the the stories that you mentioned in, in the group. And I think that is a common misconception with flashbacks. Like you said, it feels like setting up a space and time within your story to give an info dump when really, like you said, it should be used only to forward the current story. And the things that are going to do that most quickly and, and most easily are the anecdotes that illuminate this overall theme. But the way you put it to only flashback if you're going to move this forward, like we don't need to know what the character's upbringing was like or what town they grew up in unless you're going to use this information somehow to tell us and give us context about this current scene. Yeah. Which everybody's always doing that with flashback. They, they always think that they're giving context, but I think that they're they think that they're giving context for the character and not for the story all the time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because the character, you could talk about the character. You could write a character sketch that goes on for 50 pages and it would right. just be boring. But if you're servicing the story and you're, a story has to have a sense of progress. So even a flashback, which is literally going backwards in time, has to progress the story. Thinking about it that way would really really helps to or should help decide whether or not the flashback is necessary and how much of it is necessary, how much of it you can leave in once you've written it. Yeah. Cut it to the bone. She also does a really good job of she has a, a couple separate flashbacks and they're not chronological. So we don't get the flashback to the birth until like a third of the way down. By then she's kind of told us a little bit about her husband and all that other backstory. So I think that's another kind of pitfall when we do flashbacks is, okay, I'm going to do a flashback and I'm going to tell you as much as I can right now. And then I have to get back to the story. But you could do it this way too, where you give a little information here and there. It doesn't have to be chronological. It doesn't have to be, now let me go to the very beginning. It can be kind of this felt stream of consciousness. Like she mentions the birth because I think something about what she's talking about in that moment, in the present moment, reminds her of that specifically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the whole beginning, it's like, why is this woman a single mother so she has to address that in some way i don't know it is set up that way so you're kind of wondering what did happen to the father and so that question gets answered but at the same time the way she talks to the father sets up the way she's going to talk to these women at the end and that guy on the bench at the end it kind of establishes who she is for that moment that's coming and we don't know that at the time but because it's already answering a question that we've raised in our mind we're willing to sit through it get that information so that when the scene happens later we're like oh yeah it all connects right they're priming you so that you can appreciate that ending yeah and, th- and that's what all of these kind of flashbacks should do they should just contextualize everything for that greater theme yes so my takeaway and it's not a major one but it's personally helpful to me i love how this scene with the guy in the park bench is only like four paragraphs and by paragraphs i mean like maybe 10 sentences it's extremely brief yeah and as soon as it over it's over and then they kind of de-escalate really quickly and then the story itself is over so even though i've been calling it the climax of the story it's not the point of the story i think in longer pieces that i try to do i always try to come up with a plot point that is going to be something that the entire story has been building to and so i struggle with planting the seeds along that story right i'm like well this has to happen first so that this can happen later for the greater plot that doesn't even happen until 
page 50 or something. So this is what I struggle with with my novel too. I'm like, well, now I got to show the character going through this scene so that he can get to this scene so that he can get to this scene. And I love how this story feels like a kind of meandering story. We're literally following her to the park and then something happens at the park, but the story's not about what happened at the park. It's about her whole backstory and, and how she's this independent woman in a time when that's not common and how she feels about herself and her son and gender in, in general. And the scene on the park bench is just a very, very quick way for her to have a moment in the piece that's kind of present tense. But without that 10 sentences about the guy on the bench, the story would have been weaker, sure, but you would have still gotten a lot of what she communicated. Yeah. Well, this that, that scene gives her a lot of agency. Uh-huh. And so it kind of obviously, yeah, I'm not explaining this to you. You know that. But it ties everything together. Like that is the crucial scene for the story. Yeah. I guess my point is that Sally did not necessarily have to have come up with that point when she started writing it. And I think that's what I sometimes struggle with. I'm like, oh, I have a character. I have an idea for something I want to communicate. And then I struggle to invent plot to kind of center it around. And it feels like maybe her original idea for the story was just this independent woman, this character. Maybe she even had in mind walking to the park, but maybe she didn't know what was going to happen at the park until she herself wrote it. That's kind of what it felt like. And I, my point is that that's the climax, but we didn't build to it by watching the guy walk to the park. Yeah. He just appeared. He was just dropped into the story, it felt like. Yeah, absolutely. In the beginning of all this, I said this is such a tight story, and I think that's exactly what you're dissecting, is that everything that is in there is just tightly packed, right? It doesn't have to be six pages long. Yeah, she did it so quickly. She didn't linger. We didn't go into like crazy detail, and yet I will remember the way she described this guy in the park bench, because it was gross, yeah. and you should read it yourself. Yeah, whether or not she had it planned, I think is, um, that's an interesting question because everything does lead to that point. If she didn't know exactly what was going to happen, she had to know something like this was going to happen. Right. Something was going to happen that threatened the female space Mm -hmm. and the character would have to take an action to reclaim it. Right. I don't think this thoroughly about stuff when I go to write it. So it's easier for me to be like, oh, she just dropped something in there. Or she was writing it and she discovered that this was a possibility. But I like that you can literally have something come out of thin air in the story itself, even if you've expertly aligned it to illustrate whatever point you want to make. But it can just come out of nowhere. It doesn't have to be that the whole story was building to this. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the specifics can be out of nowhere, but the theme is out obviously there. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add to this one? Um, there's a paragraph that's back and forth dialogue without any paragraph breaks. How do you feel about that? I think it works so well. I, I don't <laughs> know how she did it, but it's really well done. The fact that you're mentioning it and I can't picture where it's at tells me that it was done well. <laughs> there you go. Because I didn't notice and I understood everything about this piece. Oh, I see it. Yep, I see it. Yeah, it's when the mother or when she and the father are talking and it's just back and forth. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, NaplesWritersWorkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.